gifts with us as we worship on this Memorial Day weekend. Um, good morning, Sanctuary. My name's Edrin, one of the pastors here. Um, it is an honor and a privilege to have this chance to share with you this morning. Um, a few of our friends didn't make it today because of the holiday, but we're grateful for all of you who are here. And we pray that uh, as we continue in worship that you will be blessed by our time together. Um, We've been in the last several weeks uh, in a series called Mission Friends, a covenant community where we examine our covenant affirmations, and we'll continue in that today. But as we get started, I want to actually start by looking backwards. Last Sunday, if you were with us, we celebrated our spring baptism, one of two baptisms that we will have in the year of 2018. Um, There were uh, just incredible moments of worship. It was beautiful to see um, these young folks and older folks and folks who were new to the sanctuary and folks who had been here for a while all share stories of how God had been at work in their lives. And it was beautiful for us to celebrate that together. It was, in fact, one of my favorite Sundays uh, since I joined the staff here at Sanctuary. I love baptisms. They are a celebration of next steps, as we were reminded last Sunday. Each person decided to publicly step forward and to proclaim uh, the next step in their journey with Jesus. And I was excited for all of them, each and every person, but I was especially excited for one young man, Carter Johnson, who uh, is a sanctuary kid. He has grown up in this church, has been here for years and years and years. When I came to the sanctuary seven years ago, Carter was going into sixth grade, and he was probably about that tall going into sixth grade. He was a little guy at the time, uh, but he's grown, and his fro has gotten about that big, and it was good to see the spiritual growth that has taken place in this young man as well. Carter reminded us that baptism is a celebration of next steps, but it's also a celebration of family. In the story that he shared last week, he not only talked about his own growth, he talked about the way God used some very difficult times in his family's life and how God revealing himself and working in his family brought him to this place of baptism. Because baptism is not just about individual next steps. Baptism is also about family. The family we were born into, our moms and dads, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles and grandparents, but also a new family that we are born into when we are born again by the blood of Jesus. Baptism is about next steps. It's about family. But it's also about restoration and life change. Carter also reminded us of that last week. The story he shared was a gripping story, a heartfelt story. It was an ugly story. I I feel as if we don't often talk about the ugly stuff in our faith enough. And so if people are looking, they can imagine or think that faith is all about, I had it all together, Jesus came into my life, and now I really have it together. But the truth is, for most of us, we were in deep, dark places And God reached out and grabbed us. And if I'm honest, most of us aren't way ahead of where we were when he found us. (laughs) But we're on a journey of daily becoming who Christ has called us to be. And that 
ugly story, that ugly work of restoration and life change is what we must remember to talk about. When I talk about restoration and life change, I'm talking about the fact that baptism points us to transformation. Baptism points us to new life, from moving from being lost to being found by God, from blindness to having that spiritual sight restored, from brokenness to healing, from chains being broken, shackles being loose, from darkness to light, from death to life. It may happen in a moment, like my sister's testimony, but for most of us, it happens over the course of a lifetime. God saves us. He's saving us. And he will save us when he comes again. Friends, we've got to celebrate that. We've got to talk about that. We've got to lift that up because no matter what the church, what else the church does, the church has to always remember we're in the business of working towards and celebrating transformation. Transformation is a huge part of what brought me to Sanctuary seven years ago. Since I was a very small child, well, since I was a child, (laughs) don't laugh that hard, Um, I've had a very strong conviction that Christian life, if it is authentic, must include transformation. It must be about transformation of people, but also about situations and communities. And I came to Sanctuary because I wanted to be a part of a team and a church that was committed to transformative ministry. Friends, transformation matters to me. But transformation is not the only thing that matters to me. Fellowship also matters to me. When I talk about fellowship, I'm talking specifically about reconciliation. I'm talking about us finding peace with God and peace with one another. I'm talking about us as strangers moving towards knowing one another moving towards caring for one another. I'm talking about us doing that icky work of sharing our joys and bearing our burdens together. I'm talking about the call that we have as the people of God to make an unselfish commitment to helping one another grow in the faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, talks about fellowship this way. He says, it is the, f- the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believers. A source of incomparable joy and strength to the believers. Sanctuary, can we keep it real this morning? When your alarm went off this morning, did you hop out of bed and said, oh my Lord, you have blessed me with the opportunity to go and be with people who are a source of incomparable joy and strength? For most of us, that's not the reality. We have not yet found community to be a source of incomparable joy and strength. But even if it's not how you feel right now, and I want to encourage us today to strive together to build that kind of culture here at Sanctuary, where we can see our brothers and sisters as a source of incomparable joy and strength. Fellowship matters. And transformation matters. They matter to me. It's a part of what has brought me here. But really, this is much bigger than me. Friends, I don't believe I'm alone in this room in desiring to see real transformation and authentic fellowship take place in our lives together. In fact, I believe I would go as far as saying every single one of us, in some sense, came here 
or has stayed here because we sense great potential for real life change and real fellowship and real transformation in our own lives, in the lives of our loved ones, in the lives of the folks who call North Minneapolis home day in, day out, and even beyond this city and this state and this nation and this world. We believe that as Sanctuary Covenant Church, there is great potential for us to make a difference in people's lives. And that's what keeps us coming. And that's what keeps us committing year after year after year to being a part of this community when there are probably some communities where it's a little easier to be a part of. Where people seem to think just like you. And they look just like you. And they clap on the one and three or the two and four, depending on what you (laughs) prefer. And you know whether it's okay to say amen or if you have to be quiet. It can be confusing to be here, but some of us continue to come because we sense great potential for life change and community to happen in Jesus. There's good news today. We are not alone in this pursuit. For the entirety of the church, for more than 2,000 years, men and women, boys and girls have lived and suffered and died, all while holding on to the belief that fellowship and transformation were essential parts of what a life centered on Jesus was all about. And since 1885, our own denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, or the Covenant Church as I prefer to call it, has leaned solidly into that same heritage with transformation and fellowship being central, a central part of what it means to be followers of Jesus. Way back in Europe, when they gathered in Sweden and they got in trouble for meeting in small groups and studying the Bible themselves, and when they came to North America, those early covenanters believed that having your daily life shaped by your faith and sharing life deeply with other believers was at the forefront of what it meant to follow after Jesus. And they took it seriously. Some of us might say in today's terms, they took it too seriously. They had this expression, how goes your walk? And that's like a get in your business kind of question. That's like, that's not surface chit chat. Can, can you imagine if an old school covenanter came into our worship service? We have something called meet and greet where we allow kids to make their way into their classrooms. And so the adults in the room all stay together and talk. And for most of us, that's like surface chit chat, small talk time. We ask questions about who beat the Vikings, the Timberwolves, or the Twins that week. Uh, We talk about the weather. There's always stuff to talk about with the weather in Minnesota. But imagine if an old school covenanter came in and you, uh, try, you saw them coming and you nervously made eye contact with them and you started talking about the weather and they cut you off and they said, uh, Sister, uh, how is your walk with Jesus? H- how is your prayer life this week? Did you forgive your, 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 your neighbor who uh, keeps backing out on your grass? Did you uh, forgive that coworker who warms up their asparagus in, in the microwave right next to your office and it smells like it all day? Have you, how are you doing in your walk? Friends, those are the kind of people we run away from. <laughs> we avoid those kind of people because we don't like people in our business. But I believe, just like the covenant history that we have known and are growing in understanding of, we need people like that to get in our business. We need to be willing to get into each other's business and grow in faith together. 
because we were never meant to live isolated lives. Those early covenanters took this so seriously that they called themselves mission friends. Mission friends. They, they considered themselves friends who were on Christ's mission together. They were mission friends. Can you say that? We are mission friends. I'm glad you said it. Yes, we are mission friends. We are friends on mission together. And over the last several weeks, we have considered together what it means to be mission friends. The first message in this series, Pastor Dennis reminded us that we affirm the centrality of the word of God, that everything that we do together as a church and as a denomination has to be guided by our love and our understanding of the scriptures, the word of God. When we come together from all our diverse backgrounds, there are a million ideas of how things should go and what we should be doing and what they should mean. But it's the word of God that guides us, that forms us and reforms us as we sit together under the word. In week two, Pastor Rose reminded us that the entrance into the covenant church and the entrance into any church is new birth, that we have to be born again through Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Mike reminded us that we affirm the whole mission of the church. We do both evangelism and discipleship. We make disciples who will make disciples who will then go on to make disciples. That's the whole mission of the church. Not only that, he reminded us that we should be concerned about salvation eternally, but also concerned about bringing the kingdom of God to reality today. The whole mission of the church And today, in affirmation number four, what I want you to hear is that we as a covenant church and we as Sanctuary Covenant Church affirm the church as a fellowship of believers. We are mission friends. We are friends on mission together. But being together with other people is difficult work. It's hard. The introverts will tell you they prefer to be by themselves because it's hard. But I want to do something as a way of helping us to understand this call that we have of being together. I want to read us a story. You didn't know you were getting story time when you came in this morning. And I want to invite you, if you will, that as I read to maybe close your eyes. I like to close my eyes when people read to me. They don't do it very often, but whenever they do, I like to close my eyes. Hear these words that I hope will point us towards what fellowship is or what it's not. Mr. Nose and Mr. Hand were sitting in the church pew talking. The morning service led by Minister of Music Ear and Pastor Mouth had just ended. And Hand was telling Nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. Really, Mr. Nose responded to Mr. Hand, why? Oh, I don't know, he said. I guess because the church doesn't have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Well, what are you looking for in the church? Hand had to think before answering. He and Mrs. Hand liked Pastor Mouth and his family, and they loved uh, the minister of music, Mr. Ear. He meant well. well. Well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are more like us, Hand finally stammered. We tried spending time with the legs, but we didn't connect with them. Next, we went to the small group of all the toes, but they kept talking about socks and shoes and odors. 
And that didn't exactly interest us either. Mr. Nose looked at him with genuine dismay. Well, aren't you glad that they're concerned about odors? Sure, but it's just not for us. Then we attended the Sunday school for all you facial features. But it just felt like everybody wanted to talk and listen and smell and taste. And it felt like you guys never really wanted to get your hands dirty and do any work. And so Miss Han and I are thinking about checking out that new church over on the east side. We hear that they do a lot of clapping and hand raising, which is closer to what we need right now. Mr. Knowles replied, we'd hate to see you go, but I guess you have to do what's good for you. At about that time, Mrs. Han, his wife, had ended a conversation and turned around and began to talk, and she felt like chiming in to share her grievances as well. Here's what she said. The small groups were a little cliquish. The music was a little out of date. The program seemed a little silly. The teaching wasn't entirely to our liking. And in the end, it was hard for us to put our fingers on it, but we've decided that this church is not for us. Beyond that, our daughter, Pinky, she's not comfortable in the youth group. She's so different. In fact, she feels out of joint. Mrs. Hand then said something about how much she appreciated Nose and the leadership, but the conversation had already run on too long. Besides, her perfume made him want to sneeze. And so, Mr. Nose thanked Mrs. Hand for her encouragement. He repeated that he was sorry to see them go, and then he turned and walked away. He thought to himself, who needed the hands? Apparently, the hands didn't think they needed him either. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul paints a beautiful metaphor of what the church is. And he describes the church as a body. A body. Now, most of us, when we hear 1 Corinthians 12 talked about, it's often talked about as if we are a bunch of independent parts who could function independently and well on our own, but for the sake of getting stuff done better, it's wise for us to come together and get along. But I don't think that's what Paul had in mind. Just think about it. How would an eye ever know what an eye is about if the eye hadn't been seen in the context of a full and healthy body? And how would a hand or a foot ever know what it's about if it had never seen a hand or foot function in the course of a body? Friends, when Paul talks about the church as a body, he's not talking about cooperation and efficiency. He's talking about our identity, that our well-being is wrapped up in the health of the full body. And when we separate ourselves from the body, we, not just risk, we don't just risk efficiency, we risk losing an important part of our identity. It's okay to say Amen. It's 11 o'clock service. We've got a little more time. You can say amen. Friends, we were never meant to live anonymous, dislocated, uncommitted lives. Here's how Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it. When we reject the fellowship of the brethren, we reject the call of Jesus Christ. That there's something much deeper at work and in the balance when we reject fellowship from one another. 
So I say very clearly and with all the love I can muster for our church and for you as an individual, to follow Jesus is to be in fellowship with other followers of Jesus. To follow Jesus is to be in intentional, regular fellowship with other believers. The Apostle Paul not only tells us to come together, he he cared enough to tell the believers how to come together, that when we come together, there are things that we must lay down in our coming together, and there are some other things that we might pick up as well. Let's look together at Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Here's what Paul says there. There is neither Jew nor a Gentile, nor neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all of you are, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. In writing, Paul says to us that it's not just important for us to be in fellowship, but in our coming together, there's a right way or a better way for us to come and how we view our differences as we come together. Paul asserts that in Christ Jesus, there is oneness. And that any sort of hierarchies that exist in the world have to be torn down as we come together. In other words, as we come together, any advantages that you hold in the world based on race and class and gender, those sort of hierarchies have to be left at the door in your coming in. And in our coming in, any disadvantages that you have solely based on your race, your class, and your gender, those same disadvantages cannot and should not also be reflected in the church. Friends, this is not new teaching for us especially here at Sanctuary, our founding was rooted in a desire for ethnic diversity and authentic fellowship and shared ministry. Here's how we say it on our website. I don't know how often you look at our mission and vision on our website, but I would encourage you to do so regularly just to keep us aligned with who we were intended to be. Here's what it says. It says, we are committed to breaking down barriers that were built up due to race, class, culture, gender, and other factors, and to be building meaningful relationships through our differences. This is not talking about colorblindness. This is acknowledging our differences, but saying there is a way that we can honor God through our differences and honor one another as well. Friends, this is who we are. This is who we have tried to be since 2003. And with God's help and your participation, we will get there because we are mission friends. We are friends on mission together. That's who we are. Now that's Honestly, hard work. You know this. You've lived into this. You've tried to figure out, how do I get plugged in? Like, how do, what do I say to people? Uh, some of us have come to sanctuary from places that everyone looked like us. And so for many of us, just getting here, you feel like you've done the work. At least I don't go to a church, however you might fill in the blank. But just getting here is not enough. Getting here is the beginning of the work. And our encouragement is to get here and then press into relationship with people across differences. As a staff, we've committed to helping you in a number of different ways. The first is what you are taking part in right now in our Sunday worship service. 
When we come together, it's, this is our largest and most regular opportunity for you to get together with people who are different, to press into those gaps and to lean into fellowship. We, we come together to sit together under God's word so that God might be forming and transforming us at the same time. Not only that, we come to worship in our own way. I, I make fun of how we worship a lot, but I don't mean to. Come with your one and three or your two and four. It's just important that you're here. Bring your whole self to worship. If you want to say amen, say amen. If you don't, don't listen to me when I say that. <laughs> but we come together on Sunday so that we might be together as the people of God. We love to eat at Sanctuary. You've noticed that already. And so after every service, there are snacks and God loves us so much that he will even use checks mix to bring us together. What a mighty God we serve. We encourage you after our services, grab some snacks, grab something to drink, and get to know a few people rather than running out to your cars. I know sometimes you have to. But encourage, we encourage you, find time to be with others before and after our services. We have life groups. This is straight covenant stuff. Like the covenanters in their earliest gatherings didn't gather in congregations. They gathered in small groups called conventicles. And they were able to get to know one another and to get into each other's lives and to study God's word together. And when someone came with a crazy idea, they had a way of checking it. They would simply ask them, where is it written? Imagine if we could begin to ask each other simply, where is it written? There's some stuff that we need to be able to say, eh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. We are a diverse church, but that does not mean we are a church without any sense of what God has said about who we are and how we ought to live together. Beyond our life groups, we have ministries like our cradle care ministry, where we are a blessing to men and women who have sim- who recently had new children. About a year and a half ago, when my wife and I uh, had our youngest daughter, Harper, um, many people from the congregation brought food, and it was more food than we needed, but it was not even about the food. It was the fact that people in our congregation loved us enough that they wanted to care for us in that moment, in that moment of need that was what drew, drew us even closer to sanctuary. Beyond that, we have a, group, a grief support group. Here's one thing that's guaranteed about life. Jesus said it himself, in this world you will have trouble. And so we, under the leadership of Pastor Mike, started a grief support group back in January. And for several months, they have, they have grown together, helping each other through some difficult moments of death and sickness and loss. Friends, my hope is that we would be building community long before we think we need it. Because my heart breaks when I see people who need community and they've never invested in community and they're wondering why they're by themselves. And so invest in community long before you need it in some of these ways, but there are a bunch of other ways that are informal that helps us develop our life together as a church. One of them is prayer. You hear it often from the stage that we are a praying church and every church says they're a praying church, right? But we, we actually are a praying church. I remember in a moment, in my second week at the sanctuary, seven years ago, I don't know if you remember this, Sister Vida, but we were talking after one of the services. She was getting to know me. I was getting to know her. And near the end of the conversation, she says, I want to pray for you. 
Now, I've spent my entire life in church, and when people say, after a conversation, I want to pray for you, that's usually a nice way of wrapping up the conversation, of saying, I I have somewhere else I need to be, somewhere else I want to go. And so when she said that, I was about to turn and walk away. But she reached out and grabbed my hands, and she prayed for me in that moment. And I prayed with one of my eyes open because I wanted to see what was really going on. (laughs) That's not true. God forgive me. Um, But it was that of praying for people in the moment. That is one way that is unplanned. You don't have to have pastor in your title. You don't have to be on the elder board. We can pray for one another. And when we pray for one another, God uses those moments to draw us together and helps us to build this community and this fellowship that we're talking about. A few years ago, I went through a very difficult season of ministry where for about two years, Every single day, I thought that was going to be my last day in ministry. It was very difficult, and I had to live it out publicly. I couldn't go somewhere and hide. I had to continue to serve and lead. And a brother in this congregation, he he wrote me a letter, and he put a tube of Bengay inside the letter as an object lesson of what he was trying to teach or what he was trying to say as an encouragement to me. And for two years... Whenever it got difficult and when those days came when I wanted to quit and walk away, I was able to reach into my drawer and pull out that tube of Bengay and pull out that that letter of encouragement. And God used a bottle of a tube of Bengay to, to heal my heart when I thought it was about to explode. Friends, you have no idea how the little things that you can do for your brother and sister might be used by God to bring healing and restoration and life change. And so don't wait for the perfect moment to connect to somebody. Don't wait for the perfect sermon and worship song at the end of service to run up and get to know somebody. Each and every opportunity you can move closer to one another. Because the brother or sister sitting next to you is probably on their last leg. And who knows but God how your encouragement can be an encouragement to them. Friends, this fellowship that I'm talking about, this community building that I'm talking about, it's not for the purpose of helping you to have more friends or going on adult play dates. I know that's weird. It's hard to make friends once you're past eighth grade. But it's important. Here's here's why this matters in a deeply spiritual way. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says this for us. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has called us into a life of fellowship and community for a purpose. It is for the purpose of building into one another and holding each other accountable and caring for one another. But it doesn't simply stop there. When we get together in that way, he sends us out on mission together. For most of us, the idea of sharing your faith scares the stuff out of you. But the good news is we get to share in that work together. 
There's a graphic I want to pull up on the screen really quickly that sort of ties a couple of these things together. It's what I would call missional uh, discipleship. There's something that happens when we are, as individuals, transformed by God. And then God draws us into fellowship with other believers who are also on this journey of being transformed. And as our fellowship grows and our community grows and as we get to know each other and care for one another, there's a deeper transformation that still takes place. And that deeper transformation moves us around the circle again to even greater fellowship. You appreciate people when they've helped you to grow in your faith. And that's one continuous ongoing cycle, but it doesn't end there. Even as this is happening, something else is going on. It's what I just said, that God moves us out of this building and out of our small groups and out of our Bible studies into the world to tell the good news of who he is together. We are a gathered community called together and sent out into the world to do Christ's mission. Here's the thing. We're sent out to declare the praises of God, to share the good news of Jesus, to live faithfully in our world, to to show up on our jobs and in our schools and on our blocks and in our neighborhood in a very different way than others are. We care for the poor together and we care for the widow together and we care for the orphan together and we look after the lost and the least and the lonely together. That is what we're called to, but we don't do it by ourselves. We are mission friends. We are friends on mission together. Brothers and sisters, it sounds scary, but we get to do it together. I want to call the worship team back up. Because I could literally talk about this all day. And there's, there's one quote that when I found it a couple weeks ago, ministered to me deeply. In fact, I was tempted to come up, read this quote, pray, and go sit back down. That's Memorial Day weekend. We can try some different things. Tim Johnson is a professor at North Park University, our denomination's university in Chicago. And here's how he talks about this identity of mission friends. He says to us, it is quite possible to be right about the mission, but to be so unfriendly that we actually undermine the mission. And he says, at the same time, it's possible to be very friendly and civil and inviting, but be fuzzy and missionless. He says when we live out both sides of that name, mission friends, mission friends, friends on mission, there's a corrective. We're more balanced. And this last line I love, we care about the mission and we do it in a deeply relational way. We care about the mission of the church. And we do it in a deeply relational way. My prayer for us as a community is that it will be said about us that we care about the mission and we do it in a deeply relational way. Lord Jesus, thank you that we've had this time today to sit together under your word. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that wherever they are on their journey with you, you would help them to take the next step. I pray, God, that our community would be one growing in fellowship and that as we grow in fellowship, we would also grow in mission that we would be a blessing to one another, a blessing to North Minneapolis, 
to this state, this nation, and this world. God, I believe you've called us to something great, and we can't do it by ourselves. So help us to see your visions for how we might relate to one another. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.